Stand by for a start. Racing. At $210,000 at Isella Done. Well done. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of The Shortlist, the official podcast of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents of Australia. And this podcast is always brought to you by our fantastic sponsors, IRT and Stable Financial. Joining me today to focus in on the, the pointy end of the broodmare market and also the massive growth in digital sales in the last four or five years, FBAA member Brett Howard from Randwick Bloodstock and Nick Melmoth, business manager of Inglis Digital. Brett, Nick. Thanks for joining me. Good afternoon. Good to be here. The sales season never seems to end, does it? We, we get through the excitement of the, the summertime yearling sales and, you know, sure enough, uh, the Easter sale rolls around and, and then you think you can catch your breath for a minute, but we're, we're rolling straight into the breeding stock and the whaling sales, Brett. It, it never ends, does it, this first half of the year? Well, well look, it, it, the first, certainly the first six months of the year, for us, it's it's non non stop, uh, but for someone like Nick, it is literally non stop. It's twelve months a year, so at least we get to have a bit of a break in the in the last six months. But poor, poor old Nick and his team, they're they're full on every single month of the year. I know the audio um, nature of podcast means that you know listeners will have to use their imagination, but a very nervous smile crept across your face there, Nick. <laughs> you very much know it's a never ending job. Accepting smile. It, it is. It's it's full on and the sales do feel like they overlap these days, but um, as long as the stock's there, we'll continue to, to offer and sell them. And that's the thing. You know, I think something we've all come to realise is that the digital platform, and we'll talk about it, it's rapid growth uh, a little later on, but it's become a super popular place, not only to, to sell horses, but also to, to buy horses. There's, there's great confidence in that platform. I think the most pleasing part about it, Mick, is that it is now considered a regular um, form of trade for bloodstock. Uh, it's not just seen as the bottom end or the, the lower grade stuff. We do get the quality. Um, it doesn't have to be at the highest prices. There is just good quality stock there across the board. And there's always gems in the in the rough. So, yeah, it's worthwhile getting on every fortnight to have a look. And Nick, you've been involved with English Digital nearly from from day one. Tell us a bit about your background and how you got involved with the platform at Inglis. Yeah, it was a, a bit of an evolution, really. Um, my background with Inglis or starting in Inglis was uh, to come through the insurance side of things, um, which then uh, sort of led into a, a bit of a part-time or crossover role between that and bloodstock.com, which is a classified site that Inglis has. Hmm. Um, and the online option sort of evolved from there. Uh, we weren't, we certainly weren't the first um company to, to offer the online options per se but uh, it was something that, that mark webster at the time really believed in and, and thought that it was um, worthwhile getting behind so um i was there for the start of that and the development of it um, and still here today surprisingly but uh yeah enjoying every moment of it right it sounds like nick's got one of those jobs that he'll never leave um Oh, listen, I, I think Nick and um, his team do an amazing job, actually. Uh, you know, I, I, I certainly I tip my cap, cap to him and, um, you know, what they've been able to achieve, I think, has been just in, in, certainly an incredible uh, achievement. And I, 
I don't know that I'd want Nick's job. I mean, I've had a couple of chats with Nick over the years about the different, the, the highs and the lows and the sort of stuff that he has to go through because, um, you know, there's a lot of horses and you're dealing with a lot of people. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I used to know Nick when he had jet black hair um, it's, and and plenty of it. It's sort of oh. slightly a bit and slightly slightly received a little bit in the in the in the last few years a bit faster than uh than he possibly like hey i feel his pain don't worry about that uh yeah since i've worked in racing i think the color both the color and the uh let's call it the depth of my follicles has certainly gone the wrong way as well i think there's at least i haven't got the big the big guts on me like the horse trainers they seem to be uh do you sign up for that trim taut and terrific and after five years it, it looked like a heifer I don't, I don't. I don't think Nick has has. He'd have a chance to sit down and have a beer at the end of every day. He just keeps going. Lucky to get a feed in, little out of beer. Yeah. <laughs> Brett uh, Ramwick Bloodstock's obviously a really well known brand and an agency in Australia and around the world. Uh, tell us a bit about Glenesque, though. You know, I guess it's the other part of of your business. You and Rachel run that. You've had some great success with the farm. Yes. Yeah. So so when when we left. Um, Coolmore, that was at the end of, uh, towards the end of 2006, we bought a 50-acre farm at, in the um, lower end of Hunter Valley, a place called Quarrabalong, and we gradually sort of developed that up over the next sort of two to three years and then sort of turned it into a, a small broodmare farm. And, yeah, look, I mean, the... We could sort of see what was happening with the private sales. So private sales market was always a big earner for for bloodstock agents in Australia. And but we were sort of seeing more and more horses going going to auctions. And 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 so I suppose it was a case of do we sit back and do nothing and just watch the watch it, or do we sort of join in and and you know having the farm, we decided to join in and. And give give clients the opportunity to sort of say, well, okay, you can you can obviously you can sell the horses privately, but also we, we now have this opportunity where we're happy to take horses to auction for you as well. And so that first started kicked off for us in 2015, and uh, we took some we took a, a consignment to uh, the Magic Millions, and we we got off to a flying start. Uh, at our very first consignment, we had a, a mare in our draft called Villa Verde. She was a, a Group Two winning mare that Anthony Cummings and his clients uh, kindly uh, gave to us to to market for them, and she made one point one million dollars to the bid of Kiora. So that was a yeah uh, a, a great way to kick off, and uh, since then it's it's just kept going from there. So obviously, market opportunity that that you perceived sort of led you to pursue a speciality in in being a broodmare vendor for, for lack of a better term, but what goes into preparing a broodmare for sale or a race mare, as opposed to a yearling where they're very young and inexperienced, is there much to do with the mare when it comes to offering her for sale? It, it's certainly, the it's less intensive. I mean, the preparation, yearling preparations of most of the farms, their preparations, you know, last probably on average sort of 10 to 12 weeks. Whereas, I mean, broodmares, we ideally we like to probably get them uh, six to eight weeks out from a sale, and then, and then it's just a matter of of uh, you know keeping them because obviously we're coming into winter, so we need to sort of keep them rugged, double rugged, and uh, 
you know, just keep them looking the part. Obviously, don't want them get to getting too fat. If they need to put condition on, then obviously we try and feed them up and put a bit of condition on them. Uh, but you know, still presenting them in in a in a sales uh, scenario where obviously, um, you know, if they if they need to look still look, uh, you know, appealing to the eye as such. But I think look, most people with brood mares, it, it's it's. Uh, I mean, you can see through the long coats and uh, I think people ideally though just want to be able to buy a horse that looks very healthy. Absolutely. I, I think you make a great point about a horse being pleasing to the eye and that when you look at digital sales, Nick, and, and when those catalogues come out and you know I'm as guilty of it as anybody lying in bed on a Friday night after the footy or watching a, a boring blowout on Friday night footy, you start flicking through the catalogues and the lots that stand out immediately are the ones with good photos and good video. Is that something you've had to push hard uh, to vendors on a digital platform that, you know, if you go the extra yard, spend a little bit more time on, on getting a good picture and a, and a good video, uh, you're, you're more likely to get more bids. Yeah, without doubt. Um, the fact that you're, I, I hear you're a victim as well as music to my ears. We love hearing those people that are hooked to the catalogs every time they come out. Um, Without a doubt, the presentation is massive, and especially um, it's probably more so with the online format that you need to provide as much content for the viewer to be able to see and make a judgment call on that horse. It could be across the other side of the country. It could even be across in a different country. So um, the information that you can provide is key to them to, to engage with bidding. So um, something that Brett identified very early on was um, marketing a horse properly online, and that was with great content of video, uh, quality photos, descriptions and reports to go with them. Um, we've seen that now evolve to the point where people are confident just to buy off videos, breeding certificate for a mare off the track, um, the pregnancy certificates that are attached to mares in foal uh, without actually having to go and physically inspect the horse. And they're still, they're willing to pay good money for it. Um, we, and I suppose where we've seen that evolve further is the fact that it's now become a large part of what we do in our live sale catalogs as well. Every catalog has photos and videos attached to it. Um, studs are now using those to, to market their horses prior to coming to the sales complex or going through the sale ring. So it's of huge importance and the engagement levels, um, I suppose when you liken it to social media, um, people will stop and, and look at a video. Um, they love playing a video clip and it's something very similar that we see in the online sales is if, if the video is there showing the horse in, in action, in motion, um, quite often they'll get a lot more traction. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started, and we enjoy some incredible long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers, and syndicators are getting group one business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT, the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion.
Brett, in preparing for this uh, this conversation, I found an article that you were mentioned in that you said you wanted to be the the biggest or the the number one uh, vendor in the digital space. Tell us about that. You're, you're obviously a big believer in the digital platform, but it's probably not some not a not a goal that goes hand in hand with a manager of a farm that's offering horses for public sale uh, for for live sale as well. Yeah, look, I I, I put out a press release uh, would have been just a, probably was about two years ago. I would have, or I thought it would have been roughly, and I just thought there's an opportunity for you know for someone like we've got the farm, and I that that we you know people had a horse that they wanted to sell that they could send it to us and that we we you know we'd get it looking you know we'd put you know get it looking well and healthy and then and then we take the videos we we take the photos we if you know we do the preg pregnancy certs or the breeding soundness certificates or whatever anything else that needed to be done from a veterinary perspective and we'd present you know I'd, I'd write up we'd write up the you know the spiel on the pedigree or the updates etc cetera, etc cetera. and and uh anyway I, I thought that was an opportunity to sort of and, and obviously charge a commission if, and a fee for, you know, for this service. And uh, anyway, I had probably, I don't know, I probably had 50 or so people say, what a great idea when they read the press release. But uh, interestingly, and I suppose, I mean, it's, it's, it's um, you know, it's, these things happen. I, I never actually ever had anyone phone me up and want to, want to do it. So, um, so yeah, people said it was a great idea, but uh no one actually followed through with it and and I look I didn't I didn't sort of uh you know I suppose I could have got on the phone and rang people and and um harass them and push them harder to to send us some stock but uh look I I, I didn't sort of follow through I, I I suppose one of the issues perhaps at the time was that I, I was pretty busy just with the horse sales as as it was and and uh I mean I didn't probably have the time to you know get on the phone and ring people and and chase business so um i sort of let that one slide through to the keeper so when it comes then to to putting together a a group of mares for a live sale how do you go about chasing the business from that regard is it is it word of mouth do people know you now know glenesque is a, a a brand that offers you know high quality stock or do you still have to get out and chase those big lots for for example we look at the chairman's sale the recent chairman's sale results and and you sell the the top lot of the whole sale nimily uh daughter of so you think obviously a very very good race mare uh, which sold for 3.6 million how, how did you go about getting her uh that that was that was fairly easy because uh we were involved in purchasing her as a yearling for Lester and Margaret Durney. So, so I mean, it's and 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 likewise with Shout the Bar last last year as well. We had an involvement there with Francis and Christine Cook, and when when she was purchased at the at the yearling sales, uh, we were helping them that year, and uh, you know they were able to acquire twenty five percent interest in Shout the Bar, and so we were sort of I suppose. You know, I put my hand up and said we'd love to, you know, offer her for sale for the owners of the horse, and and uh, the owners all agreed, and and it was a great outcome on on her sale, and obviously it was a 
an even uh, greater outcome with Nimalee. I mean, I don't think anyone there at the auditorium uh, that night uh, thought that she'd uh, top the sale at 3.6 million. So using her as an example, and for those that didn't uh, have the pleasure of seeing her in the flesh, what made her such a standout? Oh, well, she was, as a healing, she sold for $270,000. And that particular year, she was the equal highest price, so you think, yearling sold in Australia. So, I mean, that's usually a reflection of the of a horse's physical attributes. I mean, she was a, a you know, lovely, you know, good-sized mare, plenty of strength, plenty of substance, a great shoulder and girth. And, um, I mean, yeah, when, when people came out, they... They sort of, when she walked out of the box, people they all commented on what a lovely physical she was. So uh, she had she had good movement. She just yeah, you could see, you could look at her and see why she was a Group One winner. And so those sorts of horses have great appeal to to breeders. I mean, obviously apart from her pedigree as well. So you think out of as a Bill mare from possibly one of the best families in the stud book in the world today. Uh, it's an opportunity for someone like Coolmore and obviously Yulong who who bid on her as well. And I think Arrowfield and and uh, Northern Farm are also, you know, quite keen to try and acquire it because a mare like that, you're, you're a chance to hopefully breed a colt that could become a staying prospect at, at some point. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a mare like that. It's a, as a, it's a common term that's used, but she ticked a lot of boxes for a lot of people. Absolutely. And as you say, the relationships that you have within the industry and uh, Denise Martin as well, another example of a good relationship you have, you know, when they, when those owners have those quality mares, it's a nice position for you to be in, to be front of mind for them as, as a potential vendor. Sure. Sure. I mean, look, in, in, in days gone by, we there's a ex, there's probably every chance we would have also um, got those mares to sell privately as well. Uh, but it, but as I said, you know we're sort of moved. I think the the buyers now, uh, as as Nick alluded to earlier, a lot of the buyers now are very comfortable. I mean, buying at auction and and we, you know, private sales probably used to make up probably 70 percent of our turnover each year, and and now literally it accounts for probably less than ten percent of our turnover because we've just found it too too difficult to sell horses privately to a lot of people um they just sort of they'd rather sort of say oh we'll wait and see what's in the next auction <laughs> so yeah. um and, and i get that i mean they're all, obviously all comfortable buying and but but likewise from a you know from a offering these horses as well whether it's a public auction or a digital auction we've seen some tremendous results and and i and I'm more than comfortable to recommend to clients to put horses in in public auctions, as I said, whether it's a digital or whether it's a physical auction, because we're seeing horses achieve uh, tremendous re- you know results for their for their owners for the vendors. Um, you know, Nimalee's obviously you know that was a, a great result, and and we've we've sold lots of horses um, via Inglis's digital as well, where we've um, which have made well in excess of their reserve prices also. So. Um, as I said, I've got no qualms in, in rec- pushing people towards, uh, you know, those options, the digital options and the and the and the physical options, rather than putting them, you know, in front of people on a private basis these days. 
It's good to hear that sort of feedback, isn't it, Nick? Because I think initially when that digital space started to gain momentum, a lot of agents thought, oh, this is going to take you know business away from me and whatnot. But you made a point earlier saying that although the buyer doesn't have to be there to, to look at a, a horse in the flesh uh, with good videos and photos, et cetera, the higher value lots, a lot of people would still engage an agent to go and, and cite the horse and, and make sure everything's exactly as it looks uh, in those images. And we often see a lot of agents actually actively buying off the, the English and other digital platforms as well. And we'd highly encourage it. We want the agents to be involved because it, it gives that that um, level of professionalism too. But also, um, it could, could be an easy conversation on behalf of the client. So, um, and then the, the client um, at the other end when they're purchasing, the horse is turning up. They've, they've probably got a lot more confidence in the product that'll be arriving because of who they've had involved and and the fact that there has been that professional level of, of um, due diligence done for them. So, um, we'd certainly encourage anyone to that is looking and, and, and cannot physically inspect or or may not have the the contacts. Um, that some of the other industry uh, players might have to get involved with the agencies. Um, use the FBA, that's what they're there for, and get them on side to, to give them a hand. We mentioned before buyers like Yulong and Coolmore and the big heavy hitters in those uh, live auctions that we've come to know over the years. Uh, you've also seen them really entering that that digital space. And a couple of those you know, big lots that are in that million-dollar sort of category, the, the fun star, uh, auction going back to July of, of 2021. Sierra Sioux, that bespoke auction in July of 22. And Northern Farm playing in the in the digital space to pick up Funstar. But you regularly see on those uh, bi-monthly auctions, the likes of Trilogy and and others picking up mares and, and tried horses and, and whatnot. Uh, what sort of contact do you have with those bigger players? Uh, leading into those auctions, particularly on those bigger lots? Is there a lot of, do they do their own homework or do you have to reach out and let them know that certain horses are on that that may interest them? We have the general marketing that goes out, of course, which is the, the regular comps that, that um, everyone would get, including those people being on the database. Um, those bigger clients would be in contact with our bloodstock team, the, the bloodstock team members on a regular basis. So they'd be fully aware of what's available. What's coming up? Uh, we'll just and get that that marketing and communication out around, so that people have got time to do their own um, follow up work on it. But um, we would certainly be in contact regularly with those those main buyers, um, and also the vendors of the horses too, um, to be able to try and secure stock um, when in a, in a manner that would suit uh, for them. Because a big benefit for the online sales is the timing of it. And uh, you mentioned a couple. Of, uh, big results we had and, and the reason that we ended up with those horses on the platform was because the timing around the regular um, traditional live sale format just didn't work for those and so because we could offer that service later but still give them confidence that the, the buying bench was there and uh, you talk about northern farms um, buying funstar but that was such a huge feather in our cap because it showed that it's not just a domestic market that's looking at the catalogue we're selling to the biggest buyers in the world. So I quite like the idea of Mr. Yoshida sitting there on a Friday night, maybe watching sports somewhere and having a bored moment, flicking through and saying, oh, fun stars, English, English digital auction. Maybe he's a victim like the rest of us. What about... Let's hope. 
Yeah. <laughs> let's hope he stays one. <laughs> when it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT, the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started and we enjoy some incredible long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. What about the, there's been a lot of talk, I guess, in the last sort of few months with interest rate rises and, and whatever else and, and perhaps a a bit of a realignment with the the boom that we've seen in the sales in recent times and you know, conversations about uh, prize money changes, particularly here in Victoria, the race in Victoria, suggesting that things might have to pull back a little bit. Is there a phase or do we need a phase, bread of rationalisation of of the, the bloodstock market? Do you think we can sustain as many live sales as we have or do some of those sales start to move online like we've seen in New Zealand? Um, look, I think the the we're probably, I mean, I think more and more people, especially towards the lower end of the market, uh, are you know have, having to embrace digital sales because, and in days gone by, if you had a, a weanling or a or a yearling, and you took it to these auctions where the average, you know, if they're selling for ten or fifteen thousand dollars and six or seven or eight thousand dollars of that would be taken up in, in in yielding preparation costs and entry sale entry fees and transport to the sales and you know when you sit down and do your thumbs you're probably better off to go well if i can get five or ten thousand dollars for the horse through the digit a digital sale i'm probably better off to go that way and uh so i think now certainly at that towards the lower end uh, i think more and more people are definitely embracing the digital uh, platform and and certainly from a buyer's perspective as well i think now there's there's plenty of people looking to online at, the, at those sorts of opportunities and there, look there's been some some been some very cheap horses bought online whether it's weanlings or or yearlings that have uh, been bought for very little money that have gone on to great things i mean some of the pin some some of the most successful pin hooks um, in recent times, uh, from uh, weanling to yearlings, have been bought online for under ten thousand dollars, and then, you know, people have sort of then taken them to the yearling sales and made seen, seen them go for in excess of a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. So, it's possible to you know not just to buy pin hooks at 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 the physical sales, but to do quite well out of pin hooks on the buying by the digital uh, means as well. And and likewise, yearlings has been some some yearlings that have been bought very cheaply online and people have raced and they've gone on to, you know, become stakes winners and group winners over the, over the last few years. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great opportunity. It presents, it, it helps keep the vendors uh, costs down, but it also 
gives the buyers a, a great opportunity to buy, probably buy quite well uh, as well. I think it's just a, a matter of time, really, and I'd, I'd love your opinion too. If a, a, a sale like the Vobus Gold sale, which we just saw uh, at Oakland's in Melbourne, it's only a matter of time before a, a sale like that specific yearling sale moves to that digital platform. I, I think it just makes sense given the average price of the horses likely to go there. And as you, as you touched on the costs of preparing them, uh, there can be cost savings on, on both sides and still meet a market that's willing to, to play and, and buy, knowing that, as you say, the digital space has become known for a place where you can get a result. You can buy a good horse. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, we've, we've, um, we've, as you know, apart from obviously, uh, pushing vendors that way we've also been actively we've been active buyers on on in the digital space as well and uh we we've had a great success uh you know buying off english digital as well we were involved a few years back uh purchasing a a, a four-year-old race mare for a twenty-two thousand five hundred dollars uh her name was bella bella and uh she she at the time you know she'd she'd been to stud she'd She'd missed to Criterion, obviously, through no fault of her own. And she was put back into training and then she had a couple of starts and she wasn't sort of going anywhere. But we sort of thought that she might be a good horse to send to Adelaide to Will Clarkin. And uh, anyway, she went to Will and Will got her going uh, extra well. And she won. And I think she ended up winning about eight hundred thousand dollars in prize money for us. And then we took her to the the Gold Coast uh, National Broodmare Sales a few years ago and sold her for one point nine million dollars to Rosemont Stud. So that that was a horse that was bought for twenty two thousand five hundred dollars. And and uh, yeah, I mean the result was uh, in excess of two million to to the ownership group, which is a I mean that was one great result for her. For us, and then another great result was uh, a couple of years ago. We were also uh, we bought a mare online there uh, in July, and she was in foal to Lean Mean Machine. And uh, anyway, unfortunately, soon after we bought her, I got I got an awful call from Nick Melmoth about uh, oh, what was it probably thirty six hours after we bought her on the Wednesday night, say that she'd uh, aborted her foal. And uh, I think I, I slumped to the floor and and uh, in, in in tears. But uh, unfortunately, those things happen. But uh, look, I mean, you know, that things look pretty dark soon after we bought her. But uh, her two-year-old came out later later in, um, that year and that season or the next season, and went on to win a Group One race uh, at uh, Randwick, the Champagne Stakes, and. And I said to the ownership ownership group, I said, "Why don't we just quickly throw her in the uh, supplementary into the um, the chairman sale last year?" And they all agreed, and uh, we put her in as a with a four hundred thousand dollar reserve on her and uh, sold her for eight hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. So that and that was a mare called Keysbrook, the dam of She's Extreme. So, so yeah, I mean that was a mare that we bought for sixty thousand dollars online. Um, and then turned her into eight hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars within a year. Some people have all the luck, don't they, Nick? But yeah. uh, you, I feel like you dropped yeah. the ball. You should have got Bella Vella to to sell on the online platform. I can't believe it went through magic. She would have got a wrap over the knuckles for that. 
I was going to say, I love the Bella Bella story because it was such a pin up for us at the time, but I just wish I was on the reverse side of the cellar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was an incredible story. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, I mean, those sorts of stories obviously uh, are, um, you know, they don't, they don't happen every day of the week, but I always say to people, if you, if you want to win the lottery, you have to buy a ticket. And uh, that's certainly, that's one way to, you know, the digital space is, is, a, is a great way to buy these tickets. Nick, what's next for English Digital? You know, it was only a, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was the, correct me if I'm wrong, was it the late April sale? You had to shut off entries early because, you know, the, it was full. You couldn't take any more horses. You had an Arrowfield dispersal, I believe. You had a Waterford dispersal and uh, it was decided there were too many horses on the on the platform for that sale. How, how big can things get and, and what's the limit to growth? Yeah, it, it's a hard one. The reason that that decision was made, and it was a tough decision at the time, because we had gone into uncharted waters in terms of, of entries, and, and not only were the, uh, the 669 that we ended up cataloguing, um, but there was potentially horses that were already started entries had us well up over 700. So we had to look at, at what it could get to and like if, if things kept going the way they were, which is why the decision was made just to, to, um, make, uh, to, to stop the entries, really. Um, and deal with the outcome of, yes, people would miss out in those last couple of hours, but it was weighing that up against how it would fare in terms of length of sale and what time people in those last 100 or 200 lots would be selling and was that fair to them. So to answer your question, um, ideally, we probably wouldn't like to get to that number again or that sort of level again because it, it does just stretch it out too far uh, unless we would have to come up with a format where it's sold uh, closed off over a couple um, but I don't think that's how the format should work it, it works well in its um, five day period close off one day so like it, it's one of those things where too many numbers probably too much too much of a good thing um, could be the case if we get too high um, I would think that like it, we're probably going to look at the 10 a.m start now so the numbers should be around about that 600 capacity, but realistically, we sell somewhere around uh, five to 600 horses per month. So if we're looking at that 300 odd horse catalog each month, uh, each fortnight, uh, that's probably those, that's the good level of sale because you get people to engage in the in the full catalog rather than just trying to pick the eyes out of it. Well, gentlemen, I know you're both very, very busy. Nick, you've probably got a catalog that's uh, closing off, if not today, then in the next 24 hours. And Brett, I know you'll have a broodmare to go and look at somewhere or a weanling, but really appreciate your time. It's been great fun uh, chatting all things uh, broodmare sales and, and uh, digital platforms. Thank you very much for your time. Praise it all. Thanks, Thank Nick. Thanks, Nick. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of The Shortlist. And remember, if you'd like to talk bloodstock with an expert, make sure you visit bloodstockagents.com.au and get in touch with an FBAA member.